We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, and this is what it says. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let it be so. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And 1 Corinthians, it says that no eye has seen, neither has mind perceived, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. But then the next verse says, but God has revealed it unto us by his spirit. Because the Spirit, another verse says, searches all the deep things of God. We see in part, we know in part, therefore we prophesy part of what we know. (laughs) We prophesy what we know, which is part. God says that what he is able to do is beyond the part that we've seen. (laughs) Because we only have a picture of what's to come. Does that make sense? To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works inside of us. We know that that Greek word power is dunamis, which is dynamite. It's the miraculous, wonderful, working power of God. See, Jesus really did die a man's death upon a cross. He really did rise the third day. He really did conquer hell, death, and the grave. Your names really are written in the Lamb's book of life. (laughs) The Father knows you by name. The scripture says that he knows his sheep and he calls them all by name. He knows your name. And he don't only know your name, He knows you better than you know yourself. (laughs) Because he wouldn't put you in situations because he knows you that you would probably put yourself in. (laughs) But he knows you. (laughs) It's so true. And we have this treasure, the scripture says, in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the glory may be of God and not of us. And I heard Bobby Connor say this week, I was listening to him. He's a prophetic voice. He said that what God is going to do in this generation is going to be greater than what we even thought because God finally found a people weak enough to work in. It's so true. (laughs) Because the excellency of the glory may be of God and not of us. Paul said that no good thing lies in me, and he said as pertaining to the flesh. But now the excellency of the glory of Christ is inside of me. And because the Spirit of God resides in me, he's the access point into everything Jesus has because Jesus said that he'll take of mine and reveal it unto you. And then Jesus said, because everything that the Father has has been given unto me. That's why I said he'll take of mine and reveal it unto you. The Spirit 
that takes everything that Jesus has, which the Father entrusted to him, which is the complete kingdom, is inside of you. He's the access point into everything that Jesus is and Jesus has. He's the down payment, the scripture says, ensuring that we will receive everything that's promised because we've already received the down payment through that spirit that lives inside of us. We have access into things that our own mind can't comprehend. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask, think, or can even comprehend, surpasses your own understanding. The power of God isn't reserved for a few people in past generations. God wants to demonstrate his power in who he is through us because he's finally found a people weak enough to actually show his strength in. <laughs> Where we won't take credit because we're so holy. I'm not the captain of anyone's salvation. <laughs> yes, praise God, because I would fail you and you would lose your salvation. <laughs> I wouldn't do it intentionally. I'd put myself somewhere I shouldn't be. <laughs> Jesus put himself inside of us. And he said that when he goes and prepares the place, which he went and he prepared the place, he said, so that where I am, you may also be. We put that in future when we die. But he prepared the place, so we're seated with him in heavenly places now. That's why he had to go, so our place in him could be prepared, so that we could forever be with him. When the apostle Peter prays in Acts chapter 5, or in the end of chapter 4, and he says, grant unto your servants that mighty miracles may be done in the name of your holy child Jesus, and the place shook, there was a power that came upon them for miracles. And what was the miracles for? To actually show that they were godly? No, it was to point people to the Christ, that Jesus is still the healer. And like I said, it's not reserved for past generations. We have the possibility to inherit a promise today, to step into the reality of it, where we actually carry the fullness of it inside of us, where it's no longer of seed, but now it's been planted and it has the potential to mature in a day. People try to take healing out of the gospel, like, well, that was Jesus's ministry or the early apostles. Well, Jesus was dead. Paul never seen Jesus face to face in the flesh. He's seen him as a risen savior. He's seen Jesus glorified as the son of God. He didn't know Jesus as a man. And we find in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul preaching, the scripture says, the gospel. And he looked at a man and he had seen that this man had faith to be healed. But it says that he was preaching the gospel. So healing must be in the gospel. Because how could you have faith for something you didn't know that was available? You can only have faith for the known will of God. You can't believe God for something that you don't know is his will. Paul was preaching the gospel, looked at this man, seen that he had faith to be healed. And he said, in the name of Jesus, arise. And the man actually got up and he was lame in both of his feet. Healing didn't pass away with the apostles. 
Healing didn't pass away once the canon, the Holy Scriptures was actually finished. That's what people say now, that healing passed away because we got this now. This is what replaced healing. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It really is. Like this replaced healing. This is what lets you know that healing is available is because of our Bible. It didn't replace healing once actually the scripture was complete. And like I was telling my cousin Jesse, we were talking, he believes in healing fully. And we were talking, I said, for anyone to believe that the will of God in our generation is still to heal, all we need is one testimony of someone saying that Jesus healed them. Just one. Because that means that healing would still be in effect for our generation based on one testimony. We don't have one testimony in our generation. We got millions, maybe hundreds of millions of testimonies of Jesus healing people in our generation. That means that healing hasn't passed away. All you got to know to believe that healing is for our generation, one person who has been healed of anything, just one person. Val was healed of uh, fibromyalgia. I've seen Heather pray like four or five hours during the night because the flu tried hitting her and I sat with my Bible and went over healing scriptures. When that thing left, we got up and went to bed. But you could see it leave her. You could see sickness leave her. She could have laid in bed. I've done it. I've done it since then. I've laid in bed. (laughs) But I've seen it. Like I said, my knee was hurting all day, aching with a bad pain. And I asked Heather to pray for me, but Faithy ended up praying for me. And the pain left me instantly. And I was actually shocked that I was healed. No pain at all. Didn't come back. I was shocked. And I'm thinking, I'm a believer and I'm shocked because healing's the children's bread. And all of a sudden I've eaten some of the bread and I'm surprised that I'm healed. Because usually we expect healing for somebody else. But the scripture said that when Jesus is talking to the Seraphonician woman and she's asking for healing for her daughter, Seraphonicians were very wicked people in the eyes of... (laughs) in the eyes of any Jew. (laughs) He said, should I take the children's bread and give it unto the dogs? Because healing was the children's bread. Because of her answer, she actually received the healing that wasn't supposed to be provided to her. Because Jesus hadn't died yet. Sometimes you can pull on the anointing of God and you can get something that's prepared for a later time. You can get it in your today. Because up until the wedding feast in Cana, the scripture says that Jesus did no mighty miracles up until that point. His mom came to him and she said, look, these guys are out of wine. Jesus said, what does that have to do with me, woman? So therefore I call my mom. What are you talking about, woman? <laughs> Jesus gave me legal right. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) But uh, he said, what does that have to do with me? He said, my time isn't come yet. Because of her faith in his ability, though he hadn't did any miracles up until that point, because she knew he was the son of God from conception, because of her belief in who he was, she believed that he had the answer to their problems, which was no wine. And so she didn't listen. 
She turned to the servants, ignored what Jesus had just said, like, I'm your mama. <laughs> You're going to listen to your mama. <laughs> you better go talk to your daddy. Because <laughs> he's on my side. <laughs> she turns to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. That birthed Jesus' miracle ministry. She pulled something out of time into time and she actually started something because she believed in who he was. The power of God was never supposed to diminish with a generation because it says in the book of Colossians, we've been translated out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. Kingdom means reign, rule. Because in the kingdom of God, the power of darkness lost its power over us because we became children of God. How did we become children of God? Let's turn to John chapter 1. This is what it says. The Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 8. He was not that light. No, he's talking about John the Baptist right here. <laughs> John the Baptist was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 12 again, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. How did you become a son of God? According to that scripture, you received him and he gave you the power to become a child of God. And that's where the scripture says in Romans chapter eight that we haven't received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Father, Father, Abba, Father. That's the spirit that we have received. The spirit that we received is the most powerful spirit in all the universe. It's the same spirit that hovered upon the deep when the earth was formless, void, and gross darkness covered the earth. That spirit hovered above the waters, and God said, let there be light. And through that spirit, light was created in this earth. It's the spirit that lives inside of you that creates life. God can only create life. God doesn't know death. Sin ushered in death. God's not into death. God doesn't work death. He's not into any of that. God's into life. So even in our death, when we die, the last enemy to be put under our feet is death. And it's an enemy, the scripture says, to the body of Christ. It's an enemy to every man. But Jesus crushed that enemy. And he did it on our behalf. So that the life-giving power of his spirit can reside inside of a man. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. 
The treasure is the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. And the Lord said something to me in a time of prayer one time. He said, the more that you magnify and emphasize the greatness of the Holy Spirit, the more I will be able to do on your behalf. He's talking about in my life. The more I rely on the Holy Spirit, the more I emphasize him because he is the third part of the Godhead. He's no less than God. He's the spirit of God that lives inside of us. He's the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He was in operation in this earth, raising Christ from the dead. Because it's the spirit of God that can actually live inside of a man. We're no longer powerless. See, we hear this voice that says to us, you don't have the power. If you had the power, why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? And we say, well, the devil said this, the devil said that. We tell each other what the devil said. And then when somebody asks, well, what's God saying? I don't know. I don't hear from God. (laughs) How's that even possible? Because my sheep hear my voice, the scripture says. And if you're not hearing the voice of God, clearly you might need to tune some stuff out because life can become very distracting then it's not in sinful stuff. It's just in busy work. Because you can take five minutes of any day, three minutes, two minutes, one minute, and you can practice hearing the voice of God because grace has a sound. As you take that one to five minutes a day, listening for the voice of God, I promise you, I promise you, five minutes a day, you will begin to hear him more clearly. In that five minutes a day, any lie that you've ever embraced will begin to lose its hold on you because we have a living spirit inside of our spirit. He's the earnestness. He's the down payment of our inheritance to ensure that we will get everything that's been promised to us. And it doesn't have to be in the great by and by. It can be now. And like when Faithy prayed for my knee and the pain went away, she's six years old. She wasn't thinking, I didn't spend enough time in prayer. Dad, I didn't even read my Bible today. She wasn't thinking that. All she believed is that God is good and pain isn't from him. And if I ask him on behalf of my dad, because of Jesus, he can actually take the pain away. See, When I'm praying for somebody, I'm usually aware of what I didn't do or what I did do. (laughs) And based upon what I didn't do or did do, that's going to be the end result. But Jesus had the end result when he said it's finished. The price that was paid for not only our redemption, but our healing. The scripture says that he bore our sickness in his own body. He did that when the enemy whipped him illegally with the cat of nine tails, ripping the skin off of his back. His flesh was broken, beat, and battered, so ours doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be, because healing is the children's bread. We have the power of God inside of us. How did each one of you come to salvation? The Spirit of God inside of a man was talking to you. No man can come unto the Father unless the Spirit draws him. The Spirit of God inside of a man was pulling at your heart. It's amazing, ain't it? That God would incorporate humanity 
in the process of salvation that he would use man to save man. That he would choose to use our lives. That he believed that what he did was so strong that even in the face of death, his disciples wouldn't deny him this time. That's why if you think that Jesus' ministry before his death was new covenant, you're mistaken. <laughs> you are. Because nobody could be born again when Jesus is teaching. They could put their trust in him as a good prophet. Maybe he might even be the one that delivers Israel. But none of them were believing that he would actually die a man's death. They were believing that he was going to overthrow Rome. <laughs> they believed that he was the son of God's sin to overthrow Rome and take his seed as the rightful king of Israel and put Israel as the strongest nation on the earth once again. They didn't realize that he was coming to bear the weight of all their sin. That's why Peter would rebuke him to his face and say, Lord, that'll never happen to you. That's why Jesus had to say to them, it's better that I go away. And they're thinking, it's better that you leave? Peter said, I'll die with you. The Bible says that all the other apostles said the same thing. It's pretty much saying, let us die with you. We would rather die here with you than to live here without you. <laughs> but they didn't understand the greatness of the Spirit of God that was coming not only to rest on them, but to reside in them. And that through them, God would make his will known upon the earth. That through them, they would testify to the resurrected Messiah. There's no lie that they could tell. Referring to religious sect of the Pharisees, of the religion at the time. There's no lie that they could tell. There's nothing that they could do to stop this witness from happening and taking place. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, the centurions that were guarding the grave, the soldiers, they paid them and told them to tell Pilate that his disciples came and took him away at night while they were sleeping. What a great lie of deception. Wouldn't it be more possible to believe that than to actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Wouldn't it be more possible? That's natural. Somebody rising from the dead, his own disciples had a hard time believing it. Wouldn't that be more possible? What testified to the resurrection of Jesus where his resurrection was undeniable? It's because the miraculous power that Jesus operated in during his ministry was then placed on his apostles. It was proof that the resurrection was undeniable because Jesus actually accomplished something. And all these men were changed from who they were into somebody else. They started to look like Jesus in so much that when they were flogged before the Pharisees, and the scripture says that they couldn't argue with Peter and them, so they beat him. And they released him and told him, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And you know what the scripture says? That they took note that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and then the next thing they say, and that they had been with Jesus. That there was a power in their life 
And when they spoke, it wasn't as the teachers of the law. It was as Jesus, a man under authority, who actually knew what he was doing and talking about. We're no longer powerless in Christianity. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the flesh, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When the word becomes flesh to us, Jesus becomes more real. Let me say that again. When the word becomes flesh to us, Jesus becomes more real. When you see somebody living out what Jesus accomplished, he becomes more real to the person that's watching your life. I couldn't believe for change in my life unless I first seen change in somebody else's life. Why? Because Jesus became more real to me. And then I found out he's no respecter of persons. That if I do what they did, I can have what they have. Yeah. Amen. That all I had to do was put my faith like they put their faith in the Son of God and I could have the same results as them. See, the times of Christians living broken, defeated lives, they're done. They have to be at some point. There has to be a generation that embraces the finished work of Jesus. I'm not talking about perfect Christians, but I'm talking like Bobby Connor was talking about. People who are weak enough where God can actually put his strength in. Where we can become living witnesses of something better than what people have. Does that mean a life without pain? I wish it did. Man, I wish it did. I really do. We all know pain in here. All of us do. There's not a person in here that hasn't went through something. Every one of us. We all know it. But the marks of pain, they're not in me. They're not even on me. Why? Because I have a better hope. Why? Because you have a better hope. Why? Because Jesus prepared a place for you and it's not when you die. It's right now while you live. That we can be ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We were listening to a song on the way here and it's a song by the Misfits. It's a Christian rap group. I, I like them. They're just, they're weird, they're crazy and they're misfits. I mean, they, they really are. <laughs> But it's talking about, in the song, how he's always thinking about this person. Like all his thoughts are directed towards this person. And when I was listening to it on the way here, the scripture came to my mind, how great are your thoughts unto me, O Lord. If I was to count them, they would be more than the sand that's on the seashore, which is innumerable. David is the one who wrote down and said, before any of my members ever existed, they were already written in your book before one of them ever came to be. I left Michigan when I was 18. I went five years 
with warrants. I had two felony warrants. I went five years before the cops got me. Once they got me, they put me in jail in Wisconsin for about a month and extradited me back to Michigan. Okay, my life had changed. Heather brought Mercy up to visit me on Easter. It was Mercy's first Easter, and she brought her in this beautiful dress. The whole time that I was locked up, all I thought about was them because my heart was with them. I wanted to be released, not so I could enjoy a good meal, not so that I could get some money or some nice clothes. I wanted to be released so that I could be reunited with them because there was a barrier between us. There was a barrier that was between us and God and it was sin and God took it out of the way because his love was always towards us. God actually loved you more than life itself. You don't have a value that could be placed upon you when it comes to God. And you've heard me say it before. You couldn't offer God all the stars and all the galaxies for one person. Wouldn't be worth it. The scripture says that heaven and earth will pass away. That there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Everything we see here will be destroyed, but you won't be. Because you received him. And when you received him, he gave you power. That power that was in your life produced your sonship. Sonship actually carries with it an authority as part of the family. We become living witnesses, like I said, of a better resurrection. I was telling my cousin Jamie, I believe that God, with faithy, with just everything he's been talking to me about, it's all about moving into an area of healing. Not for myself, but for the body of Christ. That healing becomes the children's bread once again. I believe he wants all of us to know that health, above all things, like it says in 3 John, above all things, above all things, I would see you in good health, prospering, even as your soul prospers. Let me ask you a question. Was that written by John or was that delivered to John by the Holy Spirit? Is John have a better will for us than God? No, he doesn't. That's the voice of the son to his bride. That above all, above everything, it's what he paid for. He paid so that we could have a life that's filled with miracles. Not that we get dependent upon miracles because we become lazy. But God actually wants us to take care of ourselves. It's better not to need a miracle than to need one. <laughs> it's better to live in divine health than to be dependent upon miracles all the time. I know I was listening to Andrew Womack when I was sick, and he was talking about when the flu hit him, I felt sick with the flu a couple weeks ago. I'm listening to Andrew Womack. He says he ain't been sick in 40 years, and I'm thinking, man, 40 years with no sickness. And then I listened to what he did the last time he was sick. He said his whole body ached, he got on the floor, made himself uncomfortable. <laughs> on his knees and on his elbows. And for, he said, at least eight hours he was there, going over the word. And in my mind, I came to the revelation. I said out loud to the Lord, Lord, I've been playing with this thing. Like it's actually okay with me, I can lay here if I'm not healed. 
It shouldn't be okay with me if I'm laying here and not healed. That's what I said to the Lord. I've been playing with this thing. And people look at Andrew and they think, wow, you know, you're a real spiritual guy, but I don't think Andrew would tell you that he's real spiritual. <laughs> I think he just got tired of being sick. <laughs> I think that's what happened. There's some things when it comes to the Lord that we have to press in for. I don't believe that you come to the Lord and all of a sudden you got all the gifts of healing just flowing through your body. You've got to contend for certain things. I believe healing's one of them. I believe it's something that we grow into. I really do. Maybe you can, once you come to the Lord, receive all the healing power that Jesus had when He died. Man, it's in there. How to release it? That's another story. But it's in there. What if it really was as simple as just believing that every sickness that we would ever have was already placed on Jesus before we were ever born? And we shouldn't have to bear in our body what He bore in His. That the work really was finished. And what if instead of laying there complaining about how bad we feel, we refused to lay there? That we actually got our Bibles. Because I told you, we went over the Word for like four hours. And the flu left Heather. And you could see it leave. And then since then, there's been times where I laid in bed. <laughs> because sitting there up through the night like that, that sucks. It really does. Bad. Like I said, last time we were all sick together, Mercy said, Dad, I need you to pray for me. And, and I cried out, I need somebody to pray for me. <laughs> I didn't want to move. I hate being sick. I hate when any of my kids are sick. I hate when Heather's sick. I hate when anyone's sick. I really do. Because as born-again believers who believe that Jesus bore our sickness, we know that sickness isn't part of our covenant either. It's not. And we can base how we choose to walk out the remainder of our lives on past experience, or we can base it on the Word of God. Because our experiences can change, but the Word of God never does. He's still the healer. That's why it says, take note of your leaders. And mark them. And then it says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means that He doesn't change. <laughs> so beware if they do. <laughs> That's what it's saying. You guys are, are worth the payment. So was I. I'm believing that my future isn't going to look like my past. Your future isn't going to look like your past. See, your past is marked with growth. <laughs> it's marked with growth. Your future will be too. But you don't have to go back and revisit places in your life where you weren't spiritually mature. You don't have to. You don't have to live there. See, what happens is in our lives, we're producing great fruit in one area. But there's this one area of our life that really, really is bad. <laughs> Most Christians are this way. I know, I am too. There's one area of my life that I'm constantly working on. And I'm like, Lord, if I stay looking at this area that's been barren for this long, it's like I hate all this other fruit. Because I'm focused on this one area and all this other fruit 
waste on my tree. All this other fruit that my life is producing is just rotting on my tree because of this one area I can't seem to shake. What if I would start magnifying the fruit on this side to where it actually started to affect this side? Because that's what happens. We're all bearing fruit in certain areas of our life, and then we have this one area that just seems like, man, if I could get past this area, this tree would be a good tree, Lord. <laughs> but what if the tree was already good because the roots was good? So what if just naturally you were just a byproduct of the root system so that you could actually enjoy the fruit that's being produced in this side of your life without worrying about this side because the gardener is faithful to take care of the tree. Amen. But what if you just disqualify yourself altogether because of this one area in your life? Like for me, area in my life that I've been struggling with lately is weight loss. Oh my goodness. It's like I'm a failure in life. <laughs> Lord, I say I'm not gonna and then I do it. You know? The devil comes in with a pizza. He does. We order one pizza. I'm not joking. This is what happens. We're going good. We're losing weight. We'll order one pizza. They'll put the order in one or two times and we'll get three or four. And you think the Lord's blessed me. <laughs> Eat till your heart's content. <laughs> but it's not. It's almost like a trap. Because I remember talking to this guy when we went to Power and Love. The whole thing was on deliverance. This drug addict. He had been free for a year. He got out of rehab. And it's like five years later. I'm talking to him. Me and uh, my buddy JD. were talking to him. And he said that when he got out of rehab five years ago after being clean for a year, his buddy gave him an ounce of weed. And he said it was the best smelling weed ever. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, after that time, did your buddy ever give you another ounce of weed? He said, no. <laughs> I said, why do you think that is? Because that was the devil to pull you back in. And it could be marijuana. Could be pizza. <laughs> Am I going to disqualify myself because of pizza? No. What's going to happen? If I focus on that, I will perpetually feel like I'm failing in life when all these other area of my life is blossoming, blooming. If I'll set my affections on the Lord, the things that aren't right in my life, He will begin to change. He will. Because He is a good Father. There's nobody that loves you like God does. I mean, we love you. Your family loves you. I love my kids. But Jesus said, if you be an evil, know how to do or give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father? The heavenly father loves on a level that very little of humanity has ever seen. That's why people ask themselves, well, how could God be that good? He is that good. Why would God die in my place? Because he loves like no one you've ever known outside of him. There's coming a day, and it is when we're in heaven, where he's going to wipe away every tear that's ever been cried. And that's where people say, well, there won't be any tears in heaven. Well, there will be up until that point. <laughs> there will be, because he's going to wipe away every tear. 
but we can be filled with such hope and expectation that our sorrow turns to joy in this earth. Not when we get to heaven, that we stir ourselves up in our most holy faith, that we don't lie in bed and proclaim over ourselves that I'm weak. We say in the middle of our weakness that in Christ I'm strong. That though I was weak, though I am weak, I have received someone else's strength. And it's the same power that crafted and created the universe. It's the same love that wrote down all your members before they ever came to be. It's that same love that God loves you with an unending love. Unending. That he keeps no records of wrongs. Not one. He doesn't have one thing on his list that you did wrong. Not one. He has a plan and a future that's brighter than you can imagine. And the scripture says that your end days shall be better than your beginning. It does. And we face disappointment. We all do. Gene, we were believing that Michael would be raised from the dead. We all were. When Mark called me, you and and Marty, and and we're praying over the phone. We're all believing. We're all believing it. But guess what? He got buried, and now he's with Jesus, and he wouldn't want to come back. But that disappointment of us failing will not produce a life of failure. It will move us to want to be positioned as sons and daughters so that somebody else can be saved. That's what I love about it. Like some of the biggest obstacles you face, God will cause you to walk over them and then start removing other people that have those mountains. And you have questions of why didn't my mountain move when I needed it to move? Why do we have all these other testimonies of other people being raised from the dead? But why didn't this happen? When my uncle passed away, we were believing the same thing. We don't know why. He's a man of God. He's serving in ministry. He has a church, children that love him, grandchildren that love him. Anyone that ever meets him loves him. He passes away in sickness. When all of us are believing that God is going to raise him from the dead, but it doesn't stop the faith of God from working in our lives. And I'm telling you, these places have opportunity to leave us disappointed in life when God is calling us to something higher. That just because we didn't see our miracle doesn't mean that we can't release it in somebody else's life. I don't understand it all. I wish I did. But I know that God is faithful. I know that He is. He's faithful. We can't allow ourselves to become victims in life because we all face this opportunity to become victims. I mean, my wife's sister was divorced and left with a kid to raise by herself. That's what I'm saying. We all face disappointments. But I was having a conversation with Shelly one time, and they were preaching, I think, a message in her church of not a victim. And she got the mentality that I'm not a victim. So she didn't carry the victim mentality of someone who's been divorced. She didn't carry that victim mentality. We all can choose to move forward into the deep things of God, regardless of where we've been or what failure we faced. I've prayed for stuff and it didn't come to pass. Did it stop me from praying for stuff? No. Did it stop me believing? No. It like almost encouraged me all the more to believe because I know the love of my Father. 
and I don't understand all things. I could ask him a million questions, but only one is important. Do I trust you? And if I trust you, everything else will be fine. Everything's fine so far. (laughs) Because God didn't only secure our lives here, he made ready our futures there. He did. Serving the Lord. We're in Twin Lakes. Heather has a miscarriage. At four months pregnant, it was a boy. We're not grieved by that. We were. I've wanted a son. I'm going to get to meet him. And family members that went on before me, I believe they're raising him. Love the thought of it. Love it. Beautiful. Because nothing can rob us of this hope that we have. Amen. We're not victims in life. We can celebrate what we have instead of what we lost. We can move forward instead of looking back. We believe that God has something better for us. We might not feel like conquerors today, but bless God, we're more than conquerors. <laughs> and what we're conquering will be evident in our future. Not in the great by and by, in the right here and now. Amen. To him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or even comprehend, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory, majesty, and dominion forever and ever. Amen.